I want to think for a few minutes about that reading that we've uh, just looked at. It's from the book of Acts. Uh, for those of you who um, the, the Bible isn't quite so familiar, let me give you a little bit of an overview. The book of Acts follows on from four Gospels. The Bible is actually split into two. You've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament is from the life of Jesus onwards. So previous in the Old Testament, it's from the beginning of the world through to the point uh, where Jesus comes into the world. Uh, In the beginning of the New Testament, we've got four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell from different perspectives, uh, different angles, the story of the life of Jesus. And then it follows on to another book of history, which is the book of Acts. The book of Acts, if you like, is what happened to to the people who were following Jesus immediately after Jesus uh, returned to heaven. That's what Acts is all about. And what it really tells us is how the message of uh, the Bible and how the message of Jesus at least began to spread through the world. Uh, We read right at the very end of Acts, we read that the message of Jesus has reached Rome. Now, at that time, as I'm sure you know, the Roman Empire was prominent. It was the greatest, most powerful, most impressive empire that the world had ever seen. Uh, And Rome was considered uh, the very center of the whole known world at that time. Uh, And so we see the message of the gospel uh, traveling from really a fairly unimportant part of the Roman Empire, Palestine, right the way through to the very center. Now, of course, since that, it's developed dramatically and it's spread throughout the world. But the book of Acts tells us how it first began to spread. One of the things that I think we always find as we look both in the Bible and as we look at the message of the Bible being shared throughout the world is we find that there are things that we can relate to, things that we can understand and they kind of have a connection with us and there are also times when it looks strange and there are times when faith looks strange. I'm sure for some of you this afternoon what we're going to do, what we're going to uh, see might look a little bit strange and so we want to explain why we do what we do Uh, And to see that this is something which has been uh, carried out for the past 2,000 years. Just before Jesus left, uh, he told him to return to heaven, having died on a cross and risen again. He told his disciples to go and to spread the message, making what he described as disciples. That disciples has become a real Bible word. Disciples actually means followers, people who follow. We have disciples of all sorts of things. Uh, In fact, we would have used that word in the past. Disciple is a follower of Jesus. So he's not saying go and just go and, you know, go and baptize people. He's not saying just go and try and get as many racked up as you possibly can. No, the first thing is that we want to be followers of Jesus. Somebody who's made a decision in their lives to say, this is something which is life-changing from this point on and is going to be something which shapes my thinking in so many ways. He said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptizing means basically 
to immerse. That's a word from the, uh, from the New Testament, which was not a Bible word. It was a word that was in common use. You would baptize all sorts of things. Uh, you would baptize wool, if you like. If you were dyeing wool, you would baptize wool. In other words, you would dip it into the dye. That's a word that was just used. And he said, baptize people, immerse people into me is the idea that he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus said. Then we move into Acts and we see the early church beginning to continue with this. Here we have the story of a man, he's a eunuch. Uh, a eunuch, um, somebody who's been either as a very young child uh, castrated uh, and set apart to serve in a royal court very often or to serve as a servant. It was a very common practice, uh, something which was done even until relatively recent times. In the early part of the 20th century, there were still eunuchs who were serving in certain parts of the world. Uh, having said that, there were a very small number of eunuchs who would also decide to be a eunuch. It's something, a decision that they would make. Uh, why? because it was uh, a career opportunity. What we see here is this man uh, who is at a very senior level. We read in verse 27 that Philip uh, started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, here we find that this particular man is an important official in charge of the treasury of, uh, of the Kandake, which means queen of the o Ethiopians. So he's he might have made a decision. Alternatively, the decision might have been made for him at a very young age to say, this is your pathway. This is what you're going to do. But the reality is that he is now at an incredibly high level of society within the Ethiopian uh, empire, which is sort of south of, south of Jerusalem into North Africa. Uh, and he is a, in a very important place. Now, some people made the decision, I'm going to do that, uh, to, to rise in, in power and in authority. Uh, the, in, the obvious thing is that, you know, the king was comfortable for a eunuch to look after his harem, and very often that would uh, rise to various levels of court prominence. Having said that, we find that this man has done something very interesting. What do we read after finding out what he's like? This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. I think there's something very interesting there. I think that no matter what his level in society, no matter what he had achieved, and he was clearly a very important and a very prominent man, there was something inside of him which said, there has got to be something more. I am going to be a worshiper. And so however he had heard about it, we don't know how, it doesn't tell us. He had traveled up to Jerusalem and traveled to where the temple was. And he was going to worship the God of the Jews. That's why he was in Jerusalem. But isn't it fascinating that here he was. He had, in human terms, uh, the greatest opportunities in society. And yet there was something deep down which said there is more. I've had the privilege of chatting to so many people, and really, to be honest, no matter what we are in society, uh, whether we are privileged, whether we are just struggling along day by day, I think there are, for all of us, there are moments in life which tell us and remind us that there has got to be something more, 
and we look outside of ourselves. We might not call it worship, uh, but we know that there's got to be something outside of me. This man had dug a little bit deeper and he decided, I want to worship the God of the Jews. He traveled up to Jerusalem. He was on his way back down. We don't know from this, but we do know from the Old Testament that when he got to Jerusalem, he wouldn't have been allowed into the most privileged part of the temple for two reasons. One, because of who he was and as a foreigner, and secondly, he wouldn't have been allowed in because he was a eunuch. If you like, that was a barrier to him. He was on his way back down. It hadn't put him off because he was continuing to read. We read that as he's traveling along in his chariot, he's reading away. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. I think that's just a fascinating scene it must have been. Here's this man. He wouldn't have been traveling alone. He would have been traveling with an entourage. He would have been clearly protected. He would have had a a whole load of servants himself. He was a prominent man. He was traveling along in this chariot. He's reading. um, You know, don't read and drive. Kind of tells me that somebody else was driving the chariot for him to sit and read. Uh, And so he was down there sitting and reading this scripture, what he had been looking at and thinking about while he was in Jerusalem. And Philip, this really would have looked like a bit of a peasant. He was walking alongside, listening to him, reading. It's fairly evident, as was culturally not particularly unusual for the day. He was probably reading out loud. And so Philip was listening to what was being read. He ran up to the chariot and he walked alongside, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked him a question, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There's a few really interesting things going on there. A few things which um, cause all sorts of question marks for us. Uh, Firstly, Something which was very, very normal for the day, as we observe this story, as we look at the characters in this story, something very normal for the day is very strange for us. The character himself, the eunuch himself, the idea of somebody who is physically uh, being castrated uh, is, is set aside for a particular job. That, that we, don't, we wouldn't even have categories for that kind of career progression, would we, today? That is n- never a, a basis for, for uh, a job application. Uh, and yet, for this man, that was clearly just very normal. It wouldn't have been unusual. It's interesting, isn't it? Something that we look on now and think is strange would not have been strange at that particular point in history. And so the man is reading. Secondly, and I think this was strange for the day, and would have really been strange for all of those who were uh, in the entourage, is that their boss, one of the high officials of the palace, suddenly invites a peasant preacher up into his chariot to talk to him. Now, that would have been strange. Would have been strange for him to invite somebody from outside of the known community. 
It would have been strange for him to invite somebody of a lower social rank. And yet this man had so impressed on his mind and on his thinking that he needed to understand, and here's somebody who could potentially help him. And so all of the social norms and social conventions went out of the window. Now, isn't that interesting? Because there's something, as we look at the story, the eunuch was, would be strange to us. But the idea of crossing social boundaries would not be strange to us, would it? We wouldn't find it particularly unusual for people of different uh, classes, if we want to find a different uh, a word for it, uh, com- communicating together. We, we don't live anymore in a society, thankfully, with those kind of very fixed stratas. Now, I guess you might argue that they still need breaking down a little bit more. Don't want to get into that debate. But the reality is that what looks strange in one way to us would not have seemed strange to them. And yet what looked strange to them would not look strange to us. I think there's a really interesting thing going on there. And so Philip gets into the chariot and he finds that the man is reading. He's reading from Isaiah in chapter 53. That's an Old Testament book. It was written probably around, well, around about 700 and odd years before Jesus. Isaiah is writing. And we find that he's reading this scripture, which was written all of those years before Jesus. And it says this, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. What's that all about? Exactly the question that Eunuch asks. What's that all about? And Philip says, well, let me explain. And as we read, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Now, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It's a remarkable uh, little sentence, that. Because what Philip, or what the Bible is saying to us here, is that something that is written literally hundreds of years before is there specifically to take us on a journey which brings us to Jesus, who was killed in Jerusalem just a few years before the Ethiopian eunuch had been there. It's amazing, isn't it? That claim, I mean, that's an an amazing claim, that what you're reading there is not disconnected from the events of a few years ago. It is absolutely connected. The Ethiopian eunuch is trying to read this, and he's saying, is Isaiah talking about himself or talking about somebody else? And Philip says, actually, he's talking about Jesus, who was, as he describes, led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. He's saying, you know what? Those events of just some years back, let me tell you about them. I don't know the order that it it just says that he led him to tell him the good news about Jesus, but it would go something like this. He said, do you remember just a few, did you hear about that Jesus character? He, He was, he was, a, a remarkable man. He, he was speaking in a way that nobody had ever experienced before. 
He was in the face of the religious authorities in a way that was quite amazing that nobody had seen before. Tell me, you know when you went up to the temple, did they let you in? Well, I know that Jesus was equally confrontational to those very religious leaders that might have separated you, that might have said it's not for you. In fact, again and again, he made it really clear that he was here to make it available to people who previously it hadn't been available to. But let me tell you how he did that. It worked out like this, that everything that was in there in the temple that you saw was not a waste. It wasn't a waste. You know the idea of sacrifice, it's real, it's, it's got its part, it's got a part to play in the whole of the story that God is telling in this world. And the story is this, that wrong costs. It costs. And it costs ultimately death. But then we read, and Jesus showed us, that actually the death that we were preparing for was not somebody else's, but his. He was the one who eventually became the sheep to the slaughter and the lamb before its shearer. I reckon that the Ethiopian eunuch, as soon as he read that, he'd have been thinking, sheep, lamb, that's interesting. I wonder whether there's some connection to everything that I saw while I was in Jerusalem. Because what was going on was all sorts of, of sacrifice. I wonder what that was about. And actually what Philip was saying is it was preparing for Jesus. Because that death on the cross was the absolute final complete fulfillment of the idea of sacrifice. All of the sacrifices before were just a preparation for one sacrifice, Jesus himself. But the great news is that that sacrifice that was made on the cross, even though he died, he then lived again. That's the claim that the Bible makes. It's the claim that Philip made. It's the claim that the apostles made, some of whom actually saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. Well, why does... And the, I don't know how the Ethiopian eunuch responded to that, the exact questions, but I know that it triggered in his thinking. Because as he heard it, he realized, it's very clear that he realized, well, if that's something that is important, then it's got to be important for me. How can I be part of that story? How can I have that death associated with me. And Philip would have carried on and he said, well, it's like this. We end up immersed in that life. It's as though that life of Jesus, that remarkable life of perfection, a a life without any guilt, and then a life of death, and then a life which, as, as he dies, is actually raised again from the dead and lives again and then returns to heaven. It's as though that great big life sitting above can be so great that we can be immersed into it. And that life can be my life. Tell me, Philip might have asked, can you honestly say before God that you have never done anything wrong? And the Ethiopian would have said, no, I can never say that. But Jesus could. And you can be immersed into a life that has never done anything wrong. (laughs) And they say, yeah, but 
I, I have done something wrong. Yes, I know. And that's why the death comes into place, because his death becomes the death that you deserve and the death that I deserved. Philip might have said, you know what, it's suddenly, it, I remember when it hit me. I remember when it hit me and I realized that that, that death was instead of me. It was, it was so clear in, as I saw the pieces join together and I realized that was for me. That death. It's as though I've died. It's as though God has punished me because I'm immersed into that death. And then I live again. That tells me that I believe that I will rise again. You know, we've got it written deep down into us, haven't we? A kind of a knowledge and a desire and a wish that this isn't everything. Surely this isn't everything. You know, if we get to the end of life and, and that was it, no matter how good it's been, what a tragedy. We, we have written deep down into us there has to be something more. And Philip says, yes, there is. It's his life after death. His resurrection becomes my resurrection because I'm immersed into his life. What an amazing story the Ethiopian might have responded. So there's hope. Yeah, there's hope. But I was, I was excluded before when I went up to the temple. And Philip says, yes, I know, but because the final sacrifice has been made, you are never excluded anymore. No matter what your background, no matter what your situation, you are not excluded of being avail- allowed into that, immersing in the life of Jesus. That's incredible, says the Ethiopian eunuch. How can I express that? How can I say that that is for me? Philip would have said something like, well, Jesus said, do you follow that? Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Well, explain and describe and act out your belief. What does that mean, he says? Well, Jesus said, get baptized. Tell me about that. Well, it's a picture, really, Philip might have said. It's a picture of what it means to say, I'm part of that. Baptized means to be immersed. It's as though you walk into water alive yet dead, guilty. In your old state, in the fact that you stand before God, guilty. That's the kind of picture. You walk into the water like that. And then you are immersed, baptized into the water. And it's as though you are acting out the idea of dying and being buried. Being buried into the ground. And then you rise again. It's acting out. And the, the Ethiopian eunuch would have thought, wow, that's amazing. What stops me from being baptized is exactly what he says. He turns around to Philip and he says, what stops me from being baptized? Philip says, nothing. So we've got here a situation where one part of what we're observing, the idea of a eunuch, looks really strange to us, and yet people from cross-class and cross-cultural backgrounds doesn't look strange to us, but it did to them. And then they go and do something which looks strange to everybody around. Because they stopped the chariot alongside some water, 
And Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch get out. They go down into the water, and Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. They act out that idea of dying and rising again. Now, the reality is that that would have looked strange to those the entourage that was with the Ethiopian eunuch. It would have looked strange. It continues to look strange, I think. Well, maybe not. Maybe for some cultures that are so used to it, in years and centuries gone by, it might not have looked quite so strange. It would have been quite common. If you lived in China, in certain parts of China, right at this point in time, it would not look unusual at all because there are literally thousands of people who are being baptized, in some cases, altogether. Literally hundreds of people being baptized altogether in certain parts of China because the message of the Bible is making a tremendous impact over there right at this moment in time. Thousands upon thousands of people are saying, actually, I believe that. Our country is a little bit different. And so what was quite normal for us has now become surprising and a little bit unusual. But think about this. Isn't it amazing that God suggests into this world that we do something that effectively, as I was baptized many years ago, kind of makes a statement of oneness with a Christian in China or in sub-Saharan Africa or in South America or in Europe or in this country, I am doing something which, which spans every culture. It might look strange to some cultures, but it unites me with a whole mass of people. It's something which doesn't de- demand my language to be superior. It doesn't demand my culture to be superior. It doesn't make any of those demands. In fact, it becomes incredibly uniting. In some ways, because it might look a little bit unusual, and yet at the same time, it's uniting, not just now, today, but as I was baptized and as our friends are going to be baptized in a few minutes, it unites us and them with an Ethiopian eunuch from 2,000 years ago. Isn't that amazing? The idea that we continue to do something that in this world, is timeless. Our world changes at such a rapid pace, doesn't it? Things that were very commonplace just a few years ago have disappeared. Things that are completely normal for us would have sounded strange just a few decades ago. I wonder what you would have looked Uh, what people would have looked at you like if you'd have suggested to somebody a few years ago, why don't you go and Google it? (laughs) What? (laughs) Go and Google it? What are you on about? And yet for us now, that has just become a normal part of our culture. Things that seem strange come and go, pass and disappear and emerge. And yet here we have one thing which makes a connection down through history 
which actually makes a connection to the very central event in the whole of the world's history, which is the death of Jesus. And my association with one death 2,000 years ago. It is a massive privilege, I think, for all of us to be able to be here this afternoon and to be able to share in the afternoon with our friends who are going to make that statement and say, this is who I am. I am somebody who is associated with that event 2,000 years ago. Uh, And I I just want to ask you, as we continue from here down through the next weeks, months, and years, to support them in that, encourage them. If you're a believer, pray for them. If you're not a believer, maybe you might want to think about what it is that they've done. Why it is that they've been willing to do something which might seem strange for our culture right at this point in time and yet connects us to one event timelessly for the past 2,000 years.